Who do you say Jesus is? Why do you believe that about Jesus? We're going to be talking a lot about that today. If you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we got some lovely people coming down the aisle right now, and they want to make sure that you get a Bible so you can follow along with us today. And if you don't own a Bible, make sure you take this Bible home with you today as our gift to you. I'm so grateful for Alex's testimony. Alex Cormier is Adam Cormier, one of our elders' wives. Uh, Alex is one who now knows the truth about Jesus, teaches the truth about Jesus, and shares the truth about Jesus. And uh, knowing Alex's story and knowing the text that I was given today to, uh, to bring to you guys, I wanted to pick Alex's brain as someone that I respect, but also somebody that uh, has kind of lived, really, and experienced the dangers of not listening to the text that we're going to be bringing today. And I picked Alex's brain and I said, what would you want me to tell them, Alex? Like if you had, if you, you read this passage, you've gone through this passage, what, what should I be emphasizing to these people that could easily be led astray as well? And she said this to me. She said, make sure you highlight and you drill down the importance of knowing what's in the Bible that you hold today. Make sure they know the truth that you find only in God's word. And with that in mind, let's read God's word together this morning. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 4. Beloved, pause. Okay, You've seen this, this title before in this book from the apostle John, this older apostle that's now writing to these churches whom he loves. But he, said, he addresses them in two different ways in this passage we're going to read. Beloved and then little children. I want, that, I want that to resonate just for a little bit before we get into the rest of the text. Because this is the tone that he is, he is addressing them in. Beloved and little children. These two titles are beautiful titles for the Christian. They're beautiful titles that is addressed to you, the church today. They're titles that allow for extreme confidence and also for extreme humility wherever you sit this morning. Extreme confidence because what this is saying is that you are a dearly loved child of the king. You are loved by God who sent his own son to make you his son and his daughter today. You are therefore heirs of the king. That, I, maybe you've heard it so much in church that that, that just kind of goes, okay, all right, what, next truth. Oh, come on, feed me more, John, feed me more. Let that resonate. You did nothing to earn that and you can do nothing to lose that. Amen? That is beautiful truth for us this morning, that is confidence giving for us this morning, but there is extreme humility in this this morning. I am his child. I am dearly loved, not because I'm lovely, not because I'm smart, but because he saved me from myself. He saved me from my sin. He saved me from my ignorance and arrogance, my rebellion, my pride, my strength. My smarts. And he illuminated to me by his Holy Spirit's power 
the truth about Jesus in my heart and my mind. Friends, that is an act of pure grace for this self-righteous, pride-filled, undeserving rebel, this naive person, this me. But as I see this title, I see God's grace for me. And yet I also see no reason to put my trust in me. According to the Bible's narrative, we have no reason to trust me, to trust myself to navigate this Christian life that I have been granted by the Father. We need the ongoing presence and work of the Holy Spirit in us, and we need this text that the Holy Spirit authored for us. You don't possess the strength. You didn't possess the strength to save yourself. You don't possess the smarts, the strength to live this life without this word and the Holy Spirit illuminating to us. So let's continue to read that we might be wiser than any of us are on our own. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. They're around you right now, these false prophets. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Again, he's out amongst us right now. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's good news. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the Spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You read this, and it can sound a little bit like, like a text alert, like a wartime text alert, actually. This, this is a serious text from someone that means business, that loves them and knows them and knows what's being taught to them right in the moment that he's writing this to them. Alert! We're being invaded. If it was to us, it would be, you're being invaded, and Muskoka is the front lines. The enemy's means of warfare is misinformation and espionage. They look like you. They will sound like you. They'll be found among you. And then here's where he gives them how to discern. So here's how you identify them. And he doesn't give what you might expect. He's a 5'10", bald, red-bearded, translucent man in desperate need of a tan that drives a minivan. That's this guy, okay? So he doesn't do that. He's not like, you're going to spot him. He's this guy, right? But he says, he says this, no, you'll spot them by what they say about Jesus. What they say about Jesus. How they advertise. Do they sound like Jesus? And ultimately, who, they, who do they listen to? Do they listen to the friends, the witnesses of Jesus? 
Now we can read this passage and we can check out. Friends, lean in. You cannot slough this passage, this warning off, like it's a text alert meant for Toronto, not for Muskoka. Okay? You can't push it off like it's for some ancient church and it's not for today. In fact, you might even be able to make a case, this is, this is even more relevant for the church today. This is more important that we pay attention to this text and its warnings for us today. Why? Because like never before in this world, we are inundated with more and more and more information. And in that information is so much misinformation. So many lies. It's difficult to sort out It's difficult to distinguish truth from lie anymore because of this onslaught of information at every click of a button and every screen that you put before your face. Every teacher that claims the right way. Many have given up on the pursuit of truth at all. Is it really a thing? Can you know the truth? And so many options are out there. Many are skimming through the plethora of information and they're just, they're just taking the surface level stuff and they're deducing that they're all just saying the same thing without diving in and realizing the core, the foundational truths, the core contextual differences. They just skip, skim through and say they're all the same. Friends, maybe the scariest part of today's era, of this information era, is that we, listen, we actually feel we have the cognitive ability or the brain, the knowledge to intake the information and to be judge of that information to determine truth from falsehood. Just, just by the mere power of my brain, my intellect, or maybe even my intuition. Friends, that's not just something that's happening outside of the church. In the church right now, we are often taking the word of God and we're taking scissors and glue and we're cutting and pasting what we think and assort in God's word. As if we have the authority to take our brain and assort his words and say, nah, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. How dare we? How dare we? But it's rampant in the church today. We trust ourselves. We trust our wisdom, our understanding. Friends, let me state what should be obvious to everybody here today. There are many, there are many smart-sounding, uber-educated, absolute fools in the world at large. They don't know the premise for why we are here in the first place. But they are willing to espouse theories for how to live while here. This advanced information age has left us puffed up in pride. But we must remember ancient wisdom inspired by God given to the King Solomon in Proverbs 9 and 10. That real wisdom, real understanding only has one starting point and that's the acknowledgement of. That's the fear of the true creator God. For if you do not know him and you don't, don't know why he made the earth, you have no business commenting on the rest. Friends, we must also note, though, 
that as this passage warns, these truths that are being offered aren't just outside of the church. There are many smart-sounding, Jesus-touting, Bible-misquoting, often twisting heretics in the church at large. They're among us. And some of these lies, friends, have been believed by people that are here. Some of these lies have even been espoused, been proliferated, been shared, been taught by those in our midst today. Got serious real quick, right? And it ought to be serious. Because what's being painted in this very serious text is that there's a war out there. And this war is in the spiritual realm. It is unseen. There are evil spirits and there's the Holy Spirit. And this war is over your hearts and your minds. Even this morning, this text is anything but light reading. Ephesians 6 says that Satan and his spiritual forces of evil are right now, two days, scheming. They're planning and they're shooting strategic arrows at you. Today, you're at war today. Are you ready to combat his lies? Are you sure? Do you know how to spot the lies? That's what this text is all about. But we must be, we must be careful lest we walk in here to pride. He is an excellent liar. He knows how to, good, how to tell a good lie. You cloak it in a lot of truths, which leads me to introducing to you somebody that a UK friend of mine, Pastor Godfrey, introduced to me just this week. I think it's kind of fitting because Pastor Godfrey, you know, St. Patty's Day, all that stuff. All right, but here's the deal. He told me, he told me about this famous UK guy that I knew nothing about. His name is Carl Powers. I have his picture up here. Carl, Carl is just your average Joe, really, but he loved him some sports in the UK. In 2001, Carl Power was unemployed. No major life uh, achievements or experiences. He watched TV a lot, and his friends nicknamed him Fatneck. I thought that was relevant information. <laughs> However, Carl became famous in the UK, not because he was some incredible athlete or something like that, but he was an, a fantastic imposter. He was a good fake you see, he had spent most of his days watching TV and kind of idolizing what's going on on the fields and, and in UK's major sporting events. And he started thinking, man, it kind of stinks to watch it. How can I get myself on the grandest stages of sporting events in England? How do I get myself there? How do I get through the screen onto that field and hear the, the thunderous applause of all these people? How do I get there? So on April 18th, 2001, Carl came up with a plan. Before Manchester United's game in the Champion League match against Bayern Munich, okay, just a little translation there, soccer, not football, all right? It's a big match. It's a big thing in England, all right? So here, here they go. This is a big match. Everyone's getting all fired up. And what does Carl Powers do? He walks through the TV broadcast entrance like he owns the place. And he joins Manchester's United team for their picture in full uniform. He's right, he's right beside one of their famous strikers, right? Not only that, but he convinces somehow 
these guys that he's, he's one of the friends of their friend and he's going to start to participate in the warm-up drills. Okay? This is just an average Joe, unemployed guy watches TV and now he's out there on the field warming up with the best, best football players in the world, right? He was escorted off, of course. A month later, we see Carl Powers. He's about to be at bat for England's national team. He has snuck through security in full gear with helmet on, gone to, the, gone to the actual wickets, I think that's what they're called, with this bat little paddle thing. And before taking a pitch, he lifts his helmet to show who he is. And of course, he's escorted off the field as a fake. Next, in 2002, he shows up at the British Grand Prix. That's F1 racing, really fast cars, okay? Whereupon Michael Schumacher's win... And in between the transition from getting out of his car, getting ready to go on the podium, Carl Powers, in full Ferrari gear, jumps over the fence, puts his hat down, and starts walking past security, gets up to the first place podium, and receives a thunderous applause (laughs) from all the onlookers. That is until Michael Schumacher comes around the corner. Now his friends are starting to get a little jealous, so his friend... Tommy Dunn, a really good friend of his, says, how can I get in on the action? So the next thing you see is you're going to see up here is that he and his friend Tommy sneak into center court at Wimbledon. And before the the match of the day, which is like the premier match of the day, which is often played in front of like the king and queen and all all the royals and all that stuff, all right, they are warming up with tennis rackets they have just purchased en route. They are spotted because Carl drives his first four serves into the net. And Tommy is wearing mismatched black socks and untied uh, tennis shoes that are black as well, which is a no-no at Wimbledon, for those who don't know Wimbledon. When Tommy was asked about this, he explained he he didn't have money to go be buying new shoes and socks for this gig. Unless you think that he's done, he does one more lap back to Manchester United and he arrives on the field for another picture. But the people beside him are actually not the team. They're all lookalikes that he's recruited for this event and they're taking picture as if they are the team themselves. That was the last time Carl was allowed at a UK sporting event. You've got to ask yourself, how on earth does Carl nobody get into these arenas and how is he so successful? How is that possible? I mean, if Carl had just gone to the street corner, put on some Man United uh, uniform and gone, hey, I play for Man U, everyone would be like, you're crazy. Might call the cops. You know, this guy's a loon. He's got out of the bin. He's right here claiming to be my Manchester United. But no, Carl Powers finds a way to get into the stadium. He took part with the other players, and he looked and even sounded the part. In fact, he was given off all the right signals. He got past all of the safeguards, all the security, but he had a completely different agenda. This is a pastoral note you're going to see in the text today that there's only ever been two agendas. You see this all throughout the Word of God. There's only ever been two teams, two messages, two options. It's God's message, it's his agenda, or it's Satan's message, and it's his agenda. It's either true or it's false. It's right or it's wrong. 
It's the narrow path that leads to life. It's the broad path that leads to destruction. It is angels. It is demons. In this passage, it's coming from the Holy Spirit or it's coming from evil spirits. There's only two options that are presented here. And back to today's question. Do you know how to spot the fake? How to discern his lies? Are you going to hear it when the evil spirits are teaching in your midst? Let's pray that we might have insight as we break down God's word. Lord, I pray that you would take away any lies that are being believed right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give wisdom to your people that they might discern right from wrong this morning. Lord God, I pray that those who are being, even right now, fed the enemy's agenda and lies, Lord God, would be able to recognize, recognize the lies, to discern, and to follow your ways. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's look at the text. The very important text actually is the end of chapter 3. I highlight this because it has everything to do with the first verse in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Whoever keeps the commandments, whoever keeps his commandments, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Spirit allows us to abide, to keep his commandments. And then you see two commandments in the very next verse. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Use discernment, loved ones. Don't believe them all. Be innocent of sin, but don't be naive of Satan and the war in which you're in. Be an inspector of the spirits, not a skeptic that doubts the spirit within you. And you see the second commandment here, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test the spirits. He's about to give you a discernment instructions. Test them. How do we test them? By this. This is ultimately the lie detector test that he is giving them. That's what this whole scripture, the rest of what we're going to talk about is all about. How are you going to spot the liars in your midst? First, do they confess Jesus like the apostles did, like the disciples did? The worship team has already read texts that reveal what the apostles knew about the truth of who Jesus is and who he's to be worshipped as. John, in this text, affirms all of those claims. First, we see Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. What does this mean? That's not, we often hear Jesus Christ. We're like, oh, cool last name, Christ. No, it's not his last name. This is a title. He is the Messiah. He is, as, he, as put by John in, in chapter 1, verse 7, he is the Savior, our Savior from sin. 2, verse 1, he is our advocate before the Father. 2, verse 2, he is our propitiation for our sins and the world's sins. So Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the forgiver of our sins and our advocate before the Father. Jesus, what does it say? Jesus Christ has come. Now, we can often flow past those two seemingly insignificant verses, but they tell us something about Jesus. He has come. In other words, he existed 
before and he has come today. He was in another place before and he's here now. In in chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Jesus existed from the beginning. We see in 1, verses 2 and 3, he has come from who? From the Father in heaven and he is his son. In chapter 5, verse 20, says that Jesus is the true God, the one that has always been, the infinite one. He is Lord of all, and he has existed before all. He is in the beginning. He is God. Jesus Christ is God. And the Jesus Christ, he came in the flesh. This is important in that time because there's a lot of people that believed he just came in the spirit. But John has made clear, no, no, we touched him. We heard him. We hung out with him. He says, says that. That's how he opens up the book altogether. But he came in the flesh. In other words, he came as God from heaven, was seated by the Holy Spirit into the Virgin Mary, and he was born fully man. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He is our sacrificial and risen, conquering Savior. Amen? If we can't say amen to that, then you fail the first test. The second is this. Do they speak from the world? What do they talk about? What do they appeal to? Do they sound like a marketer? Or do they sound like Jesus the Christ? Does their message sound like your best life here? Your best life now? You might hear it like this. You get more money if you give more or you live more holy. This is a popular belief amongst the Jews at the time of Jesus. How do we know this? When Jesus is teaching that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven, he is blowing up their concepts to the point where the disciples are like, well, who then can be saved? Why are they asking that question? Because they believed that wealth was a sign of the favor of God. Jesus is saying that's not, that's not the way it is. Wealth is not the sign of the favor of God, but sadly, many believers still functionally believe the same. So are they espousing some kind of Christian karma? Are they twisting, sowing, and reaping narratives, teaching that you're meant to reap in this life? Do they dress up the gospel? Do they try to make it cool or or round off its edges by making it acceptable or palatable to the people that they're teaching? Do they appeal to the comforts or the flesh in their teaching? Is is there a status that you earn as as you obey? Can you achieve self-esteem or self-help what they advertise. Remember, we can't trust self. Is freedom to sin rather than freedom from sin modeled by the teacher? Is a greater or cooler or unexplainable experience dominating the focus or is Jesus dominating the focus? That's the marketing, but what, what was Jesus' version of marketing? How did Jesus advertise? I want to I I uh, read for you a few of Jesus' advertising moments from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, 
says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, that's an instrument of torture and death and shame, and follow me. Right? Is that, that's a good advertising, right? You want to follow me? Take up that embarrassing cross that you're going to have to die on. And whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Are they advertising the world? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Are they saying you can earn your salvation? Jesus says you cannot. Matthew 5 verses 11 and 12 says this, Blessed are you, or happy are you, or, or blessed are you, fulfilled are you, when others revile you. And <laughs> that's, that's pretty drastic, is it not? Revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great on earth. No, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they per persecuted the prophets who were before you. John, in John chapter 12 of his gospel account of Jesus' life, records Jesus as saying this on his road to the cross. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. It doesn't multiply. Are you living for this earth? Or are you dying for, towards this world? It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where's Jesus going? To the cross. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. When does he honor him? At the end of days. If you hear a better life now coming out of the teacher's mouth... They're lying because that's not how Jesus taught. And that's not what he advertised. There's only two options. You can follow the world and its spirits lies and follow them straight to the grave and ultimately to hell. Or you can follow Jesus and his spirit's truth to the cross, but also to the resurrection where the reward is. What do they say about Jesus? How do they advertise? Do they sound like Jesus? Third test is this. Do they listen to the apostles? Do you realize what we have here today? Do you realize what this is? We have the account of the eyewitnesses, the apostles of Jesus Christ in our hands today. And they tell us about who Jesus is. And they stand on prophets who have heard from God that came before them. The prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. In 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2, John says, Hey, 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 we're testifying about somebody that we heard, that we saw, that we touched. We know this guy. He made himself manifest to us. When the person is teaching, are you left trusting in a witness? Or trusting in that person? Are you left trusting a person? Or the text and the apostles' testimony? Has that teacher made much of themselves? Or have they made much of God and his word? 
Are they offering up their personality, their presentation that's great, or their procedures that sound good? Or are they referring you back to an ancient, inspired text? Eyewitnesses and their account, and ultimately the I am's own words to you and to me. Friends, we don't need the word fancied up, modernized, or some form of new revelation. We have the best thing there is. God's inspired words to us, and they are beautiful, and they are deep, and you can't explore the ends of them. So watch what these people are saying. Friends, Satan's slippery. He knows how to tell a good lie. He knows how to dress it up to cloak it. They will have good sound bites. They will have extravagant worship, big numbers, or popular networks that are airing them even today. But if they don't have the rightly divided word of truth, they are liars using lures to peddle, dressed up deception straight from the schemer and deceiver himself. Do they rightly divide the word of God as they teach? Christian, be alert. Be alert. We need to wake up, some of us. We need to watch out, all of us. Because we're in a war. We're in a war right now. Some of you hear that and you're anxious immediately. Oh my goodness, can I trust anybody? What, what can I do? What can I do? What's going on? And you start to spin. Beloved, do, do not fear the war. The end is written, amen? And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit wins. Look at what it says. Little children, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. That's the evil spirits. We know who wins, amen? We know that Jesus conquers all, amen? We know that he has overcome the world. And through him we overcome too. So don't fear. Have faith in who is with you, who is in you. You have every reason to live with confidence and courage in the midst of the war. But friends... While you don't need to fear the war, fear living as if you're not in the middle of one. Make no mistake, the end of the war is certain, but the fight is not over. The fight is not over in Muskoka. It's happening all around us. Until the day that Jesus returns, friends, there is no neutral ground. There's this side or that side. And friends, listen, if you're apathetic, apathy is not joining Jesus' side. Apathy to do nothing is to be listening to the world and ignoring the call to be a warrior. So if you're on the sidelines today, if you were reading this back then, the call is to wake up, to arm yourself, to engage in the fight. As Alex warned us, we need to know the truth about God's word or we will believe a lie. How do I get to know God's word, John? Read it. Study it. Train with the sword for battle. 
You might not know a lot at first, but you train, you train, you train. You're going to be able to recognize more and more and more. And you're going to realize the truth is found in his words of truth. You're going to get to know God through his word. We have a foundations class being, being offered with, with Elder Roger over here. And he's going to teach us all about abiding in Christ and worshiping Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to read God's word, go there. You're going to find out. Get signed up today. You can go. If, if you're watching or listening in Perry Sound, we have a doctrine study starting up in April with Jess Spence where he's going to teach us about how the Word of God teaches us about all that we need to know for this life and all the theology and doctrine that we need to understand about God's Word, the truth in God's Word. If you're in a small group and you're not sure how to read the Bible, be humble and ask See, it's in being humble that he'll lift us up. Amen? Be humble and ask. If you're, if you're not in consistently, ask someone, please keep me accountable. What kind of reading plan can I get on? What you need to do, regardless of how you do it, is you need to know the truth of God's word. And you need to teach the truth then to others or they'll believe a lie. Who are you called to teach? Do you have a young family like me? Are you teaching God's word to your children? Is the truth about God on your lips often in front of them? Moms and dads, your kids need the Bible in their hearts more than stuff, school activities, or sports. They're in the midst of the war too. If you don't have kids, who's the next generation that you're pouring into? Who's coming behind you? And how are you teaching them to, to engage in the war as a mom? As a person that's starting out in the working world? Who, who's taking those people under their wing? Who's teaching them the word of God? If I can just say something, church, it, it's hard for me. Every time we present opportunities for you to be able to teach God's word to children and to youth, and we have to do that again, we have to do that again, there's people that know the truth in this room right now and the next generation is in need of it. Let's teach the truth or they'll be led astray by lies. We shouldn't be surprised when they wander away. Maybe it's a class and you know you're a teacher that needs to step up and teach one. Maybe you're this person in small group that says, they, nobody knows enough about God's word in my small group. Start teaching them. Stop complaining about them. They need you, mutual ministry. Come alongside them, show them, love them, share the truth with them. We need to share the truth also with our community who will die believing a lie. <clears throat> this is sad. This is true. Who is it for you? Who can you tell about the truth of Jesus Christ? Is it a family member, a friend, co-worker, a teammate? Is it, is it, is it just is it a neighbor that you, you kind of casually say hi to every once in a while? These people need the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to know it. We need to teach it. We need to share it. Let's pray.
You are the living God. You are the great I am. You alone are the holy one. You are holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are God most high, and you are certainly worthy of us engaging in the fight. Father God, I just ask that you forgive us. I ask that you forgive me. We're so, I'm so easily lulled into this lackadaisical approach to the war. I'm so easily convinced to cling to this world instead of you and your word. Forgive me and lead me in your ways. Guide me in your truth. Lord, I I just ask, I ask for your beloved here this morning, your church. I pray that they they would study and know the truth. Lord, I pray for those teens that are being taught many different theories, backed up by some doctor or expert in this or in that, Lord God. I pray that they would be able to distinguish lie from truth because they know your word. Lord, I pray for young adults as they set the course of their life, Lord God. I pray that they would bring the course of their life in line with the truth that they know. Lord God, I pray for your, for your beloved church, Lord God. May, may we be a place where the word of God, the truth is taught. Lord God, I pray that young parents would take seriously their call to teach the word to their kids. I pray that adults without kids at home would take seriously their call to invest in those that come behind them. Lord God, I pray for your beloved church, Lord. I pray that we would be a church that is sharing the truth with our community. Lord God, I pray against apathy. Lord God, that slow fade of zeal that we all feel, Lord God. I pray that you'd get that away. Stop stop it from creeping in, Lord God. May we see, may we see you use us, Lord God. Take ground for your kingdom and for your namesake here on the front lines of Muskoka, the front lines of our job, front lines of our family reunions. Lord God, take heart after heart after heart and establish your kingdom there, I pray. Lord, for we want to know that they know you, the one true God, and we want to know that they will be with us declaring your glory, singing before the Lamb forever and ever, enjoying your presence Lord God, may that be our motivator to draw near to you today and to share you today. Move your people, I pray in Christ's name.